Hey, everybody. Welcome into the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy. We have a great show today. We have S.E. Cup in a moment. But first, I want to thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you listening, and we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com, and perhaps we'll read a few next time. And if you like the podcast, please follow or subscribe to be notified every time we post a new episode. All right, let's get into our two big things. The first one being Governor Ron DeSantis and his big announcement. Now it's quiet. All right. Uh, good afternoon, good evening, or good morning, everyone, depending on wherever in the world you're joining us from. I'm broadcasting live from David from Twitter headquarters. It's David Sachs here. Uh, Elon is sitting next to me. And we, want, and we want to welcome you to this historic Twitter Spaces event, and more broadly, a first in the history of social media. Uh, tonight, I'm pleased to introduce two individuals who've done more to loosen the group. All right, <laughs> sorry about that. We, we've got so many people here that I think we are, we are uh, kind of melting the servers. Uh, which is a good sign. That wasn't War of the Worlds. That was Ron DeSantis' big presidential announcement. But it could have been War of the Worlds. If we l- play that music and then if you, we would have heard the Martians are spotted over the Garden State Parkway. Oh, no, wait. It's Elon Musk and David Sachs and a very small, insignificant Ron DeSantis. Wow, that was a real shit show. And just for the record, that dead air was not ours. That was theirs, okay? And no, it's not a good sign when your servers are melting during a presidential campaign announcement, which is like the biggest thing in the world to the candidate. And it should have been a pretty big fucking thing to Musk and Twitter, but it was a colossal failure instead. I mean, how they managed to pretend this was a success is my favorite part, because you had David Sachs, this fascist venture capitalist, and Musk, who's we don't even need to talk about Musk. And they they had their own little, like, sort of Wayne's World situation going. And your average TikTok video has better production value. It was the Musk and Sachs show. And, like, DeSantis was on it. It wasn't his show, and it should have been his show. How many times do you get to announce that you're running for president, right? Just to recap, they had five or 600,000 people on. On any given day, YouTube can handle that with video. Uh, on any video. It's not a... This was not a technical feat. It was a complete technical failure and they're pretending that they had the largest room ever on the internet that's a ridiculous claim what does that even mean first of all they had probably around three hundred thousand people and then it shrunk because it took 25 minutes to actually get off the ground and at some point they literally shut it off but let's play some more of this yeah i mean so uh governor santos uh can are you there can you hear us i think you i'm here I know. I think I think you broke the internet there. We had over half a million people in one Twitter space, and it was growing by like fifty thousand a minute. So, uh, congrats on uh, on breaking the internet there. <laughs> no, no, first of all, no, no, Musk, you're hundred percent wrong. It's not a good thing. It's not like a. This is like a great space for presidential candidates to announce. I'm sure, no one else who's going to run for president is going to want to come on Twitter and do this. I would suspect Tucker Carlson is reevaluating his decision to move his show to Twitter. The other thing is, who is Governor Santis? Where'd that come from? And, you know, just breaking the internet. Don't congratulate yourselves. This was, this was a, a total, complete, colossal fuck-up. But also the idea that it's breaking the internet, 500,000, 600, 10 million people, <laughs> it should be able to handle that. If it, 
Who would have predicted that a presidential announcement would have a lot of people tuning in at once? No one could have ever thought of that. I, mean, I think the first time my, my mother used FaceTime, FaceTime Live, she had a bigger audience. I swear. At the nursing home. Uh, my mother's not in the nursing home, by the way. Whose decision? Does DeSantis not have anybody on his team that's like, this is a big deal, first of all. Audio only? What's up with that? It's like, edgy. It's different. Edgy. He's an innovator. Different from Trump. It was different. I think this used to be called radio. <laughs> this was a presidential campaign announcement. You should be in a room full of supporters and live and doing the thing with your hands and and rallying the crowd. Like They said he was like a meek, meandering little weasel sitting there waiting for Sachs and Musk to shut the fuck up so he can maybe get a word in edgewise and announce he's running for president. Also, this is all we're talking about. Who knows what he said? I mean, it sounded like chat GPT. It was the most monotonous speech. It was all just woke virus, blah, blah, blah. It was completely performative nonsense. It was a terrible opening. But putting aside that, no one's talking about anything else but the complete failure and meltdown of Twitter. Well, it goes hand in hand. Look, when you're running for president, everything you do is measured, but everything you do is also judged. You are under a microscope. When you're a candidate, you're supposed to convey leadership, strength, good judgment. All of the qualities of a president were woefully missing in that announcement. And that's, I think, going to hurt him. Not necessarily in the same like instantaneous Howard Dean scream kind of way, but you could see Trump, what he's going to be doing and saying on stage. Already released a video, which was actually yeah. pretty clever, de destroying DeSantis. Right. He just gave his opponents, Trump in particular, so much fodder to mock him as being just someone who can't even go on. To, to, I mean, and Twitter spaces. I've been on Twitter for 10 years or whatever. I don't know what the fuck Twitter spaces is. <laughs> Actually, that was clearly on purpose because normally Twitter spaces are available to you at the top of the screen. But they clearly did not promote this because they were likely afraid too many people would log in. I've been on a number of Twitter spaces. And the funny thing about Twitter spaces is you can have a thousand people on it and it starts to fail. The idea that it was going to work out of some sort of miracle is bizarre to me. Well, the, the other thing, too, is that the base that he's going after is 65 plus. <laughs> <laughs> They're sitting and watching Tucker Carlson in their boxers at night in an Archie Bunker chair you think they're on Twitter? Who is this? Who was it geared to? I mean, I think it was geared to younger people who potentially can swing back to more traditional conservatism. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. I mean, there's like, there is a bit of a touchstone with his extreme anti-wokeness at the college level. Well, that was for real. That was well, right. But he's not going for that audience. He's He's going for the MAGA crowd. He's trying to take... This is the thing about his but campaign. But they, they kind of intersect, no? I mean, they're, no, they're two they, different... I mean, no. All right, well... His target base is Trump's base. He's trying to be more Trump than Trump because his policies, all the woke shit, the transphobia, the book banning, all that stuff is alienating all the moderate Republicans and independents, all the people he should be attracting. So he's literally going after the same red meat you know, keep the kitty litter out of the bathroom crowd. And he's not going to succeed in taking those people away from Trump. 
They're Trump's people, period. End of story. It's like. But he's a good backup. Who knows what's going to happen to Trump? And uh, he's putting himself out there because of these hundred million indictments might actually go somewhere. Who knows? Yeah, but you know the MAGA crowd. Trump could be literally sitting in a prison and they're still going to vote for him. I think the audience that he was going for on his Twitter space was all the blue check marks, essentially. Yeah. Everyone with a blue check mark was his target. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I don't know who he was. I To me, the whole thing was just a complete, utter disaster. I don't know what point of it was. I don't know what the market was that he was targeting. I don't know what he hoped to get out of it. It was just bizarre. It was just a colossal fail as a launch and indicative of who he is, what his character is, what his qualifications are or not to be president. I just, I think it was a great ad for Trump. That's what it was. Trump definitely won the night. So speaking of Trump, one of the things Trump did right afterwards was he posted something on Truth Social, quote, Rob, he calls him Rob now, my red button is bigger, better, stronger, and is working, truth, exclamation point, in all caps, Yours does not, exclamation point. And then in parentheses, per my conversation with Kim Jong-un of North Korea, soon to become my friend, exclamation point. Need I say more? <laughs> what the fuck is that? Booyah, win. Mic drop. That was like, if you were introduced to like a nine-year-old in a mental institution, <laughs> that's what that kid would be saying and scribbling on the wall. No, Andy, it's strength. If you didn't think that man is a sociopathic freak before that post what does it even mean he's so obsessed with kim jong-un i mean have you noticed like he stole the letter well, they had love they're in love maddie apparently it was a love letter he stole the letters he's gonna go to prison for those fucking letters he's gonna have plenty of time to be sitting in that jail cell reading those letters he can run for president and still beat ron DeSantis in prison he's he's gonna get new letters my dearest donald <laughs> It's, it's Kim. Don't you worry, my dear. I will be your revenge, Donnie. And so we have some news of Trump. He, uh, apparently his cronies were spotted on camera moving boxes the day before the FBI was coming. Uh, coincidence, and, and obviously. Totally coincidental. Because look, there was no intent. There was no, no intent. No dress rehearsal. No, no obstruction. No. It was pure coincidence. And like, the, the calamaris, uh, they didn't do anything with the video, I guess. Do you know if the calamaris uh, faced the death penalty, they would be the, <laughs> the fried calamaris? <laughs> okay. That's, if my daughter happens to be listening, yeah, that's a dad joke, okay? This is bad news for Trump. Because, again, we keep saying this every week, <clears throat> we have to get to his intent. That's how you're going to convict him, is if there was intent to take these documents, knowing they were classified, knowing it was illegal, and was there an intent to obstruct. And moving those boxes the way they did, Trump can't claim that he didn't know. He didn't know. Of course he But he, he declassified them in his head. What What's the problem? I don't understand. I wonder what it must have looked like when that process was happening. Like, does he couldn't go into some Hindu chant mode, like where he's just sitting on a carpet and he's like, hum, I'm declassifying documents right now in my head. And they're just magically declassified. I think it's more like I dream of genie, you know, dink. Oh, like float and maybe floating. Maybe. On it. Uh, yeah. But instead of a genie, it's like a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Ooh. Yeah. And now the head of the Oath Keepers, Stuart Rhodes, mm -hmm. got uh, sent away for 18 years, which is probably about 
362 years less than he should have gotten for being a, a seditionist. But he's going away for a long time, and it's further proof that Jack Smith's investigation is leading to the top. It's going to be hard to fathom that someone like Stuart Rhodes gets 18 years and Trump walks away. And, and I would just point out that the judge gave him a quite a scolding when he sentenced him. And I think if anyone has time to look that up, you know, oh, yeah, up. he basically said you're like the worst evil, dangerous scum <laughs> America has ever seen. And, and you're not a political prisoner. Yeah. And then the other thing was Eugene Carroll. She said, give me 10 million more because of the CNN town hall, because you defamed me yet again. It's like a cash register. He's going to be her cash register. It's like every time he speaks about her, she's going to be like, ka-ching, 10 million more. It's so smart. So smart on her part. I, I love it. Just like a, like an extra dig, dig. Yeah. Dig. And, you know, not to open up a whole can of whoop ass on the CNN town hall thing, but it's like, to me, just one of the many reasons why it should have taken place. But let's get to our winners and losers. My winner is the woman who became Tina Turner. Her resilience, her grit, her sexy, soulful voice, her kick-ass dancing, rock on queen of rock and roll. My loser, the South Carolina Senate passed a ban on abortion after six weeks of pregnancy before most women know they're even pregnant. In addition, the bill requires any woman seeking an abortion to first have two in-person doctor's visits and two ultrasounds. That's just ridiculous. My winner this week is AM radio because of a bipartisan bill that's going to be passed. Ford said that they're going to put AM radios in cars. They were not going to. And the new bill was going to require AM radios in every car for free. Oh, that's a great news, Matty Rosenberg. Thanks for that <laughs> update on AM radio. And my loser is Target. They've been celebrating Pride Month for more than a decade and have now given in to intimidation that was fomented by the homophobic fascist Matt Walsh, who has made it his mission to, quote, make pride toxic for brands. My winner, Tim Scott, who announced his candidacy this week with a positive, upbeat, patriotic message, as opposed to the usual Republican gloom and doom dystopian picture of American carnage. <clears throat> My loser, Elon Musk, whose attempt at playing presidential kingmaker failed more than a Trump business. That brings us to my weekly rant. So, Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis made his big announcement this week. He bizarrely chose to do it on an obscure feature of a small, increasingly irrelevant, and perhaps even dying social media app, while being utterly overshadowed by an erratic, conspiracy-spewing, sexist and racist, trope-tweeting megalomaniac billionaire whose masturbatory live stream ended up with a massive case of glitchy electile dysfunction. De Sanctus, as Trump strangely calls him, appeared like a small, meandering maggot suffering a bad case of woke mind virus. His big pronouncement on Twitter spaces, at the behest of the new king of conservative media and Rupert Murdoch wannabe, Elon Musk, began with a humiliating, dead-air-filled delay of about 25 minutes, with Musk's embarrassing hot-mic attempts to ex uh, excuse his platform's technological shitshow because of, quote, server capability. It was so bad they had to pull the plug and start over. At its peak, it drew just 300,000 listeners, a fraction of those who watched April the Giraffe giving birth. As expected, the media pounced. The New York Times called DeSantis's announcement a fiasco. NPR called it a disaster. The Washington Post called it awkward. NBC News labeled it a meltdown. Political. Politico said it was horrendous. Even Fox News called it a glitchy launch. 
But the biggest takeaway from this digital dumpster fire is not the glitch. It's that DeSantis is a weak, feckless coward who literally couldn't show his face as he meekly hid behind the audio-only coattails of Musk without once mentioning Trump's name or even acknowledging his very existence. But what he fails to grasp is that Trump is a sociopath not tethered to facts and reality, a merciless bully with an uncanny knack for identifying and exploiting an opponent's weakness. At some point soon, Rob, as Trump strangely calls him, will have to punch back hard or get swallowed up in Trump's deadly web like Marco Rubio and all the other losers in 16. All right, let's get to S.E. Cup. She's a CNN political commentator and most recently host of CNN's S.E. Cup Unfiltered. Before joining CNN, she co-hosted MSNBC's The Cycle. She's a nationally syndicated political columnist, culture critic, author, and consultant who regularly writes for the New York Daily News, Glamour, and CNN.com. She was previously a consultant for Apple TV's The Morning Show, starring Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, and Steve Carell, and HBO's hit series, The Newsroom. S.E., welcome back into the back room. Thank you for having me. It's fun to be back. I have to point out this thing you have on your wall, for the people who can't see this, a giant, and by giant I mean like maybe five feet by five feet, photo of Al Gore jumping and then who's in the photo with him. And then, of course, why the hell is this on your wall? Right. I get this a lot. It is giant and it's Al Gore, his son, and you you can't see it in, in your frame, but also his daughter. And there's two parts to this story. First part is this photo, it was taken a couple days after the 2000 election, which you'll recall you know, we needed a recount. We didn't know who won for a while. But in the couple of days after the election, Al Gore's handlers told him, grab your kids, go out in your front yard, play touch football, and it'll look like you're really confident that this is going to go your way. Worked for the Kennedys. Now, of course, because it was a staged photo op, all anyone talked about was the fact that it looked like a staged photo op. And... It really kind of summed up his whole campaign. I mean, that was the criticism of Val Gore, that he was inauthentic, that that he was packaged. You know, people thought he was nice and smart and all of that, but that he was a little plastic. And so part two of the story is I'm 21 working at the New York Times, and this picture is hanging above my desk in my my cubicle. And in the old New York Times building, these photos were all over. The, you know, award-winning photos, Pulitzer Prize-winning photos, maybe like the Yankees winning the pennant, something from Watergate. They were all over the building. And when it came time to move into the new building, they said to us, you can take one, pick one. Well, I took this one because I'd been looking at it for eight years. And I took it home. And I have it right behind me here in my office because... It is such a good reminder that in politics and in life, authenticity mm-hmm. is really, really important. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting That's because so what you're saying is Al Gore decided that to battle the criticisms of inauthenticity, he decided to be even more inauthentic. You know, yeah. And the the folklore around it is that, you know, people told him to do this. Mm-hmm. This was 
not allegedly his idea. But right. again, that just cuts right to the core of the criticism that he wasn't really kind of his own candidate at that time. It is a great shot. <laughs> and it is know, pretty amazing that it's on your wall. Uh, <laughs> and that's a good story. People love to speculate about why. And you'll never get it. You'll never get the reason. So I'm glad you asked about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, it's it's great. So I'm not sure what we're going to talk about because there's really not a whole lot going on in politics right now. All right, there is. So the first thing I got to ask, you wrote a piece in the Daily News that yesterday, I think it was published, can Ron DeSantis or any Republican win? Trump and Trumpism has infected and damaged the grand old party. So before we get into the bigger meaning of the opinion piece, what did you make of this shit show that went down the other night on Twitter? I think he was trying too hard to do something. And this was kind of like, uh, you can understand maybe why he thought this was a good idea, doing this on tw in Twitter spaces with Elon Musk, because it was like that SNL skit, Stefan, this club has everything. And it did, right? Like Twitter was the place Trump had gotten kicked off. There was that element. Um, he's on with this, you know, anti-woke, controversial CEO that, you know, check that box. This was not on like mainstream media, the, the fake media, check that box. So I kind of get why he thought this was a cool idea. But I think he was trying too hard. And even if it had gone off perfectly, like in terms of the technical aspects, it's such a dumb idea <laughs> to give someone else platform space too, like Elon Musk. Why would you want to share this really important spotlight and this announcement with someone else who is famous, more famous than you are? Very odd. And I hope he learned from that lesson to go out, run a regular campaign. Yeah. And David <laughs> Sachs too. It's like the two of them were talking like it's like Rob, as Trump calls him, couldn't get a, a word in edgewise. I mean, this is the moment you've been waiting for your entire life, you are running for president and you choose the worst possible venue with the worst possible people. And then that sound, that weird, like, war of the world shit that was happening. What is going on here? This is how he wants to launch? And it's weird because for exactly that reason, like, he's so far the youngest candidate declared. And man, did he look like an old fart. Yeah. Try to figure that out. And like, you know, it, yeah, it just, it, none of it went right. And if he'd had, I think, you know, some smarter people around him, they would have said, this is a risk that we don't need to take and do an, do an interview on Twitter spaces some other time. Mm -hmm. You can always do that, but don't choose this moment to do this. It's not worth it. When you're launching a candidacy for president and you're going to be president of the United States, commander in chief. People want to see that you project strength, that you project confidence, that you project good yeah. judgment. All the things you want to project were not there that night. And I think the takeaway is he came off like a joke. It just seems like he gave Trump such an entree into the mockery and, and belittling and making him seem small and insignificant. Well, Trump and Biden and Biden, you know, absolutely took the opportunity to ding Ron DeSantis, right? Tweeting out something with like this link works. I, listen, I've said for a while, years, I think, that 
Ron DeSantis to me feels a bit like a Manchurian candidate. Like he'll kind of go wherever he's told to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I write in the column is a bit about how he feels a little unmoored from anything foundational. Like he's not a conservative, you know, he's run afoul a lot of conservatism and Republicans have come after him for that, like the Disney fiasco being one. There was a great quote in the Orlando Sentinel by like this legal scholar who said, Ron DeSantis is for unlimited government, not limited government, which is what conservatives do. And that's not conservatism, that's totalitarianism. And so he's he's got lots of critics on the right because he doesn't stick to conservatism. And he seems to have made being anti-woke his entire personality. And if that's where you're going, that's your foundation. You're just riding those winds of the culture wars. I mean, who knows what he believes in and who knows where that will take him. And so I think this announcement, coupled with a couple weeks of bad press, I think really cut to the core of who Ron DeSantis is. And that's like empty a vessel, an empty vessel. Mm-hmm. And I, I get confused when I try to figure out who is he targeting as an audience? Right. Like, it just seems he's going for Trump's MAGA base. And they're never going to choose him over Trump, yet he does nothing to appeal to the moderates, the independents, the suburban women, the people he actually needs who make up the other 70% of the party. Like, it's exactly. a strategy I just don't get. Does it make any sense to you what he's doing? No. And this is what I've been talking about all week. I, You pissed off conservatives, right? Like conservatives like me, because you don't, you don't care about conservatism. And that's what I hated about the last guy, that he jettisoned the conservatism in favor of other stuff. So you're not going to get us. You're absolutely right. He's not going to get MAGA people to vote for him instead of Trump. Well, that leaves independents and moderates and maybe even some disaffected Democrats. And what he's doing is running to the right of Trump on the most unpopular stuff, right? Abortion bans, book bans, diversity program bans, curriculum bans, all this shit that's like really, really unpopular, not just on the left, but in the middle. And in fact, on the right in some cases. So who is he going for is is exactly the question. And if his answer is... I'm Trump, but I can win. And he's going for the voter who can't vote for Trump a second or third time. I don't think there's enough of those. Mm -hmm. I I really just don't think there's enough of those to cut through the clutter and push him through a primary. Well, the other answer- And it's definitely not. I mean, he'll definitely never win a a national election this way. Mm -hmm. Forget that. I, I just don't see how he can win a primary either. The other answer from his side of, the table is that he's Trump without the crazy. But when you have Trump, who actually is crazy and a sociopath saying like, oh, that Disney stuff, that's nuts. Like, no, you're actually Trump with more crazy. (laughs) It's like, you're not. Yes, with like added unnecessary crazy. Uh, He could have run as um, almost like a technocrat. Like I get stuff done. I'm a governor. I've gotten stuff done in my in my state, I stay out of the drama. I'm not chasing all the distractions. Except then he decided to go and chase all the distractions, you know, the Disney stuff. And he clums, you know, he, he was clumsy at that. He didn't even do that successfully. And now he's like a legitimate job killer in the state of Florida from that fiasco. And so 
yeah, it it seems like he's made all the wrong turns through navigating this last year. And I can't imagine he'll start making right turns. I mean, look, there's a long runway ahead. He could he could improve, but I don't know. He's starting from a very inauspicious beginning. Do you think it's because Trump is such an enigmatic personality, his politics are so out of the ordinary that they run against him, they want to beat him, but they just don't know how. Like, they don't know where their, they know where his lane is, but they don't know where their lane is. Well, that's exactly right, and that's the the, the lesson of the picture behind me. It's not hard to run against anyone if you're just running as yourself and what you believe in and not pretending to be this or that or wearing a costume to differentiate yourself inauthentically from this wild man who doesn't hew to any traditional orthodox um, policies, principles, philosophies, campaign strategies. None of it's knowable at any given time. And so the best advice is to run as yourself. I think that's how Tim Scott is probably going to run. I think you're going to see him have the most authentic campaign. You know, I know having covered him, he's going to try to appeal to evangelicals who have second guess, second thoughts about Trump and Trump voters who are a little sick of the crazy. And I think he can do that authentically. Now, whether that cuts through enough and he gets enough voters remains to be seen. But that's the easiest thing to do, man. Just be yourself. Stop trying to be something else because we can see right through it every time. Isn't it crazy? Like you're you're a conservative with some moderate social positions. I'm a Democrat. I feel like both of us, either of us, if we were the earpiece in his ear, could be making him a much more viable candidate. Yet so DeSantis? DeSantis. Who are the people uh-huh. who are the people around him? Who is he listening to? Where is he getting this advice from? Isn't there someone yeah. who could just sort of in that share moonstruck kind of way, just snap out of it, smack him in the face and go, Yeah. Just be yourself. Be be a con- just like you said before, be a, a straight up conservative. Don't get the kitty litter out of the bathroom shit away. Like, don't go nuts, you know? His wife, maybe? I don't know. I mean, I No. No. The problem is, I mean, I know some of the folks he's got around them, and some of them are Trump, Trump folks. Um, some of them are like longtime political operatives. He does have some real people around him. But I also think he's become very insular. And there are lots of stories written about how kind of paranoid he is and, um, you know, keeps his circle very close and small. And I think living in this like insular Florida bubble where everyone tells him how great he is has not prepared him for a national election very well. You know, it's really odd. Uh, just yesterday, he was on with, I think, Eric Bowling on Newsmax. I think this is where he said these two things. One was, I don't really, I don't really like to be on maps and social media. I prefer cable news. This is after you chose to announce on an app Maybe on that's social because media. That's why he's saying it probably the day after. Okay. Now, now I already, so I already know you're a fraud, right? I already just don't believe you. Right. Two, he said, I believe in the same interview, that he will consider 
No, this was a different interview. Sorry. I know this was with Buck Sexton, who's a, a friend of mine and Clay Travis. He said he would consider pardoning Trump. Right. For all of the FBI deep state witch hunts. Right. And the J6 so, people. It's right. is. I mean, this is like, this is dumb on many levels. This is dumb because, again, if you're trying to get folks who don't want to vote for Trump to vote for you, this makes no sense. Also, it makes no sense because you're running against Trump. Don't you want to beat him? Don't you want to beat him? Isn't this the perfect opportunity to say, no, if the guy did crimes, I'm not going to pardon him. I won't get involved in the adjudication of these crimes because that's not my job. But if he did crimes, no, I'm not going to pardon him. And I'm also not for sedition. What, what, an, what an interesting thing that would have been to say. But he doesn't know how to do this. And that's very obvious, I, I think, to me, to you. And I think will grow increasingly obvious as he expands the aperture of his, of his campaign. Well, it's like when, uh, you know, when the police arrest someone for a crime and they interrogate them for hours because liars usually trip themselves up if they have to talk for any length of time. And because of what you were saying before, he's so inauthentic and we don't really know who he is. We know Trump is a megalomaniac. So if you say to yeah. Trump, wow, those Yankee fans will love you if you say Met fans are bad, yeah. he'll be like, oh, I've been a Met fan my whole life. But yes, I, Donald Trump, are going to hereby ban and imprison yes. Met fans. He doesn't care. Abortion, like he, right. paid, he's paid for more abortions probably than anyone. But yet he's right. the guy that we, we've lost Roe v. Wade over. DeSantis, you don't know, is is he the same way? Is he a megalomaniac and just going with the flow? Or does he really hate trans people? Or who is he? No, and that's exactly right. And for better or worse, we know what Trump is. And Ron DeSantis is not a stranger to politics, right? He's a big figure. We should know who he is by now. And listen, he could definitely become the president of Florida. They love him. But, I, you know, he's not making the case that he could be the president for anyone else uh, because he's, he, again, he's, I think, operating in this very insular bubble where he goes unchallenged and no one's telling him, listen, Governor, when you when you when you cross the border into into Georgia, for example, you know, they, they might care about some different things. And, you know, trans bans and abortion bans, abor abortion ban of six weeks actually isn't even popular in Florida. But, you know, no one's kind of preparing him, it seems like, for this. And it it's very clear he'll say whatever he thinks should be said, even if it just contradicts the last thing he said. So, uh, you know, I, I think this campaign's pretty ill-fated. So we know how Trump is going to deal with DeSantis, but you mentioned Tim Scott before. How is Trump going to do his Trump thing with a black guy? What's you that lane look? You just hit the nail on the head. What is that going to be like? And I've been thinking about that too. Yeah, because we saw when Tim Scott announced Trump was very kind and genteel and welcome to the race. <laughs> and yeah, you'd think he'd have a hard time going after Tim Scott. However... I'm old enough to remember 2016. And what he did with almost all of his opposition was to otherize them. Ted Cruz is Canadian and maybe can't run for president. Marco Rubio is Cuban and probably can't run for president. Ben Carson's Seventh-day Adventism is a weird religion and he, that's disqualified. It's his gut instinct to point out these differences 
in other people as if that will appeal to his voters. He was right. Look at how ugly Carly Fiorina is. Remember all of mm -hmm. that? So the otherizing comes real naturally to him. Well, it's hard to imagine him being able to avoid <laughs> the otherizing. Right. He has zero impulse control. So how will he otherize Tim Scott? This is new yes. territory well, I, for him know, in a way. Yes. You know, you can't. I don't know that he'll automatically go for his race, although I would not put that past him. But I mean, the safest bet, if I were advising Trump or really anyone else who has executive experience, the safest part would be to say, he's just a senator. I've run stuff. You know, make that case. But isn't the safest or, bet just to say he, he's, he's not significant enough? Don't worry about him. He's going to get three percent of the vote. Focus on DeSantis. We'll but see. then what and happens what he's doing for now? Yeah. But then what's going to happen is Tim Scott has to go after Trump if he wants to get anywhere. Right. And that's where when you push Trump's button without that impulse control, he just comes back and God knows what comes out. I mean, is this the moment yeah. where he's just going to go full on racist on national TV at a debate? He seems desperate enough to do that awful thing. But listen, South Carolina's early. It's going to be an important state. And Tim Scott's first concern has to be Nikki Haley and vice mm -hmm. versa because they're they're splitting voters, surrogates, donors, campaign staff. You know, they're splitting all of that. And so they need to take out each other first because one of them could very easily win South Carolina in the primary. And then that actually sets that person up for pretty good chances in the next races. So I wouldn't Works discount. Yeah. So I wouldn't discount Tim Scott or Nikki Haley, although I think Tim Scott has better favorability in South Carolina, though they're both very well liked there. So yeah, it would seem Trump will have to take him on earlier rather than later and, and vice versa. But we've not seen anyone really get in the race and do that yet. Chris Christie's interesting because he has taken a bunch of swings at Trump and DeSantis. And I don't think he can win and I don't think he thinks he can win. But if he gets in, I think it will almost be as like an enforcer role. Like he might not get a goal. He probably won't like definitely won't win the game, but he's going to rough some shit up, you know, and like maybe be the sacrificial enforcer you know who does that and you know maybe that will be his role and maybe he'll be successful at it i don't know that really is an interesting point because if he's truly looking to be the nominee i don't know why he would do this because he's, he's not going to be the nominee but if he's looking to sort of reverse that what happened to chris christie thing he he was such a little lapdog to trump like if he wants to correct yes. that ship and like go after trump knowing that he doesn't have a chance at this nomination it's but nothing at least to lose i could rehabilitate my reputation and be the tough guy again that people saw me as eight, nine years ago, then that might actually be kind of brilliant to use that platform to do that. What do you think of, of Glenn and Youngkin? Raise money. Uh -huh. He could raise money. True. He could give all that campaign money to whoever gets the you know nomination if he successfully, mm -hmm. you know, swats Trump away. Or I mean, I, it would be an interesting strategy. And I, I, I am guessing, I know him a little, Although I haven't talked to him about it. I am guessing, just channeling him, I am guessing that's what he's, what his strategy is. What do you make of the chatter in the last couple of days about Glenn Youngkin 
possibly ent- yeah. entering the race because he seems like a really formidable candidate. Yes and no. He's someone. I don't think this is his year. I think he could have success in a in another year because Virginia's one and done. So he, you know, this will be it for him in terms of being governor. But he's someone I think again, like, could be president of Virginia. Everything he's doing works in Virginia. I'm not sure a lot of that translates nationally, but he certainly has more discipline than Trump. He seems more authentic and moored than DeSantis. But the, you know, the anti-woke stuff, which is really how he got got through and 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 beat Terry McAuliffe, who had much more money and name ID and infrastructure. I, you know, I don't know that that's a winning national platform. I think he should wait, see where the, you know, how it shakes out after 2024. And like I say in the column, if it's real clear that like no Republican can win a national election again, let's all get back to our conservative roots, folks. Start fixing problems again. Start talking about things like limited government, lowering taxes, lowering the debt, strong national defense, all the shit we talked about for a century before Trump came along and quit it with the culture war nonsense. If that's where we get after 2024, people like Glenn Youngkin and Ron DeSantis are over. If Republicans don't learn their lesson and still want to keep on this hamster wheel of losing and losing and losing, then someone like Glenn Youngkin, I'm sure, will be will be platformed. Do you think that's possible with where the Republican electorate is today, that Trump hasn't rewired their brains? They've gotten so conspiratorial, so cultish in their thinking and been fed that that juicy Peter Luger type red meat that like <laughs> someone could ever lead them back to McDonald's or Jack in the Box. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. do they care about the debt ceiling or shit like that? No, they like when he yeah. calls women ugly. It's the Jerry yeah. Springer show. Could that genie go back in the bottle? Can yeah. conservatism return to what you're talking about? hope so and look there's there's a wing of the republican party certainly the maga wing that is lost forever they're never gonna go back and they're only interested in more of this and i i don't think those are winnable for for people like me they're gone they are hooked on the conspiracy theories they are hooked on trumpism they're hooked on culture wars they're hooked on insults they're hooked on division and pitting americans against americans and you know, identifying heretics instead of converts, they're hooked on it and you're not going to get it. But I also think there's a sizable chunk of the Republican Party that wants to win it again and is reconciling with the fact that they jettisoned all of the conservatism for Trump and that that might have been a bad idea, right? Because we've lost now the House, the Senate and the White House and Republicans are tainted with the Trump brand, all his worst shit, right? They are tainted by it. And what did it get them? Not much, not much. And so I do think there's consternation and frustration inside the Republican Party that like, we need to win again. They just don't know exactly how to do it. And they cannot accept the fact that they'll have to say goodbye to Trump voters to do that. They can't, they can't confront that reality where they'll have to say, hey, Oath Keepers, hey, Proud Boys, right. hey, White Nationalists. We don't want you. We don't want your votes. I know Trump said, come one, come all. We don't want you anymore. They're not going to say that. No, because those are the people. The only way. Those are the people the voting cleanse. in the primaries. That's the problem. The people 
feasting on the red MAGA meat and drinking the woke juice, they're the primary voters. So it's like this this impossible yes. dilemma to get around, which is how do you appeal to that group to win the primaries that you can then shift back towards the middle and the general, which was the old formula in the Republican Party. It, it's broken. Like, it doesn't seem like it can be fixed. It is broken. It definitely can't be fixed with, like, this current RNC, which seems very uninterested in changing anything. You know, the RNC is a pretty powerful institution. It's got lots of money and it's got lots of power, especially over elections in the party. And there's, like, zero interest in doing anything different. So I think if we could, you know, get a leadership change there and it's just a structural rehaul, someone to come in and say, this is how you're going to keep losing. If you want to win, you have to do it without these folks. I think you. I think that you could get back to a Republican Party that governed, that came to the table with ideas instead of impulses and wanted to solve problems again, or at the very least win elections, mm -hmm. you know, but they're not they're They're for neither right now. Can it only occur in a post-Trump era? Like, it doesn't even seem like indictment or imprisonment would change things. He's no. going to be like El Chapo sitting in his cell, yeah. still yeah. running the show, like John Gotti. Yeah. It just seems like it, he has to be gone from the picture in a, a big picture sense. You know, he's an old guy. So at some point he's not, you know, he's not going to, not he's old, yeah. he's old-ish. So he's has to go to the old casino in the sky. Exactly. So is that going to be the flushing out period? No, because, I mean, Trumpism will outlive him hmm. no matter what. And that's why, like I say, it's going to take the Republican Party to say, to, to excise not Trump, but Trumpism and all of that. And again, that means turning off and kicking out certain kinds of voters and refusing to give in to them and appeal to them. Now, Fox News would have to do it too. Newsmat, like you'd have to have a complete restructuring of the right wing, all the right wing apparat apparatus, you know, that that work to platform all of this stuff. And you know, the RNC could have done it in 2015. They could have said to Trump, you can run, but you can't run as a Republican because none of the stuff you're saying is conservative and you're like playing footsie with David Duke. We don't want it. They didn't. They wanted it. They were fine with it if it got a, an R in the White House. But if you had that multiplying, that attitude multiplying all over the country at right wing news networks, this sort of coordinated effort to rid the party of these odious mm -hmm awful elements and return it to a problem-solving party that had a, a, a platform of conservative principles, I think you could get past Trumpism and it almost wouldn't matter where Trump himself is if you're re rejecting the Trumpism. Mm -hmm. But we're, I think, a long way from that. Wouldn't someone like Liz Cheney be a great bridge from there to the future? Because she would run in that way that we're talking about. Like, she has the balls yeah. to say, look, you 30% crazies, I'm not talking to you. I'm going to talk to the other yeah. 70%. You got to get off the couch, get off your ass, get to the polls in the primaries and stop this bullshit of only yeah. the crazies vote in the primaries. You want to get rid of Trump and Trumpism? You want to have someone like me who believes in all this conservative stuff you believe in and doesn't believe in sedition? Then get up and vote on primary day. Like, 
Yeah. Wait, doesn't that just sound so sensible? Yeah, I don't. Let's separate. I think she's a very important voice for all of the thing, the reasons you just said. Both, both she and Adam Kinsinger, I think, have a really good platform to try to reorient the party back to conservative ideals and away from just owning the libs. However, I have to remind people of this all the time. Liz Cheney is very conservative. She's to the right of me, you know, to the right, to the right, to the right of me. And for those reasons, separately, I don't think she could win an actual election either. But I think she's a very important voice inside the party. And I think she, sh she should, and I think she probably will, get herself involved in this primary in just that way, to be, to be a guiding you don't think you don't think force. she'll run? No, I don't. In a perfect no, and world, Kinsinger is young. I think he will run. I just don't think he's going to run this year. Is there someone in a, in a perfect world that you think is the perfect candidate, should run, and could actually beat Joe Biden this year? Perfect candidate? No, I mean that's well, a low if, bar. If, so it's really tough. I love Adam Kinzinger. Part of me wishes he were running this year because he's conservative, but not scary conservative. He's real principled. And I think he proved that over the four years of Trump. He voted with him when he agreed with you know, the conservative policies and he voted against him when he needed to. He called him out when he needed to. And he's real sick of the culture wars and all of this nonsense. And he's got balls, right? So I think he'd be a great person to run. I just think he needs to work up his name ID a little bit. Right. And, you know, that'll take some time. But I don't know. I Listen, I like Tim Scott. Tim Scott is someone I could probably vote for. I just don't know how far he's going to get. I don't either. I think his message, although it's very positive and patriotic and upbeat, and that's very refreshing when you're dealing with the typical dystopian gloom and doom yeah. coming from Trump and DeSantis. But uh, yeah, I think that show is going to, the curtain's going to come down on that sooner than later. But in our final moments, when I ask you about your Daily News piece and the bigger picture of it, you ask the question, can any Republican win? Can they? We're going to F around and find out, right? I mean, this is a really important test for all the reasons we just discussed. It's, I think, clear to pretty much everyone that Trump has made it so that Trump can never win a national election again. The question is, has he made it so that no Republican can win a national election again? And this will be an important test of what Republicans want their future to be. Do they want to continually lose? Do they want to win again? We're going to find out. We're going to find out who makes it through this primary and then whether that person can win a national election. And I not to be dystopian or fatalistic, I really hope, I'm kind of hoping that the outcome is that no Republican can win in this environment because then it might induce some soul searching. If one of them manages to win, I think there will be zero self-reflection and we'll have this on repeat for as long as I'm alive. If a Republican doesn't win after a Republican incumbent lost in 2020 and then can't beat this Joe Biden, this Joe Biden, I would think that the lesson from that, the takeaway from that would be real clear and Republicans were sent to the woodshed. And what you do when you go to the woodshed is you shut your mouth and think about what you've done. Hmm. We're going to see. We're going to see 
It's a very important election for this reason. We're going to see what Republicans have learned, if anything. Yeah. Well, I, I equate Trump and Trumpism to addiction. I think the similarities mm -hmm. are startling. I think yeah. addicts don't change until they hit bottom and they want mm -hmm. to change. And Republicans right. to me today, they're just, they're on the pipe. They're smoking that crack, that Trump crack. Totally. They can't get off the pipe. They may want to. Right. They may be on the pipe for different reasons. Some might be on the pipe because they're right. racist. Some might be on because they had a bad childhood, whatever. But it's just like, <laughs> it's just like addiction. For and they them. know it's bad. They know it's bad. They're sitting there going, I lost my job. Yeah. I lost my wife, my husband. I my lost family. everything right. I have. And I got to get off this pipe. And I can't. And that's, to me, what's happening in the Republican Party. And I think you're right. Until they wake up one day and go, I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of my life being so fucked up. It's time to change. And it doesn't seem like we're anywhere, that's like, anywhere near that. I think that's brilliant. And I think, I mean, I've described it as a cult. You have too. And I think there's some lessons in there as well. And what happens when you elect a demagogue. But yeah, they haven't hit rock bottom yet. And, you know, I think that's what this election will be. If, if they can't get a Republican elected again, with this field, you know, this crowded field of, of wannabes, you know, would-be contenders. Hopefully that will be a rock bottom. But I don't know, Andy. Like, I, I am, I'm over being shocked by this party. I, you know, I, nothing shocks me anymore about the party I once knew real well and loved. So, again, that's why I think this election will be real important and telling and revealing about the future. Of this party well i think you're right and uh, thanks for coming in and talking about it all it's always fun to talk with you and hope you'll come back soon anytime i love talking to you it's great thank right. you let's we'll say goodbye to you and we'll say goodbye to the al gore family behind you <laughs> bye gores <laughs> take care bye-bye <laughs> okay that's episode 78 if you like what you've been hearing and even if you don't let us know we appreciate the feedback you can leave us a message at 845-307-7446 Email us at backroomandy at gmail.com or tweet to me at Andy Ostroy. And when you listen, please take a quick moment to rate and review. It's very helpful. And also, if you like the podcast, please follow or subscribe to be notified every time we post a new episode. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, associate producer, Jen Hamoud, Cricket Langell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wind and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio, and a big thank you again to our guest, S.E. Cup. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.